The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. So Ezekiel 37, verse number 21, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen. And I should just set the context. This, this, uh, this passage of Scripture comes at the end of the vision of dry bones, which is a fantastic uh, a vision that God gives to Ezekiel. Uh, have you heard Patch the Pirate's song on, uh, on, the, uh, on the, the body coming together, uh, the, the vision of dry bones? But anyway, here we are, Ezekiel 37, 21. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the, the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And so we have kind of the idea of them being in exile and be gathering, uh, them being gathered home. And that, uh, that is a theme there. Verse 22, And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountain of Israel, and one king shall be to them all. And uh, so we have here the, the servant of, uh, we have this uh, servant Israel, but we also have the idea that they're going to have a king, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all, neither shall uh, they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. And so uh, they had been seeking after idols, but now they would be focused on God. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places, uh, the salvation of the Lord, wherein they have sinned, and I and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And so they're going to come back. God is going to bring them back and redeem them, and they're going to know the righteousness of God. In verse number 24, And David my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd, and shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And kind of come into a rest. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace, a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now, I want you to to capture the hope of that passage. I mean, that, that is a, an encouraging passage. God is going to be working in Israel. He's going to be gathering them to himself, uh, sanctify, or, uh, redeeming them and sanctifying and setting them apart, giving them uh, a king, giving them a king that would uh, rule over them forevermore in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to turn back to Ezekiel chapter number 22 for a moment. And I want you to, with a person nearby you, I want you to read verses 19 through 22. Ezekiel 22, uh, 22 verses 19 through 22. I want you to just, with a, uh, a person nearby, read out loud 
verses 19 through 22. Ezekiel 19, uh, 22, 19 through 22. And just take a moment and do that right now. Ezekiel 22, verse 19 through 22. So what strikes you about that passage of Scripture compared to what we just uh, read in uh, chapter 37? Okay. It's opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Is the same author writing these two things about the same group of people? All right, so what's going on in, in chapter 22? Judgment, they're being dispersed. And then God is talking about bringing them back to himself. Yeah, in great mercy. And uh, he's, he, there's a lot in chapter 37 that, that points forward. I think you pick up in the language that, well, David didn't reign on the, on the throne forevermore. Who is that? Jesus. So there's a there's, there's great picture looking forward to Jesus Christ uh, coming you have a lot that's pointing forward to it. The only way to, to mesh these two is, is, is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as, as, as uh, sin is judged and as, as God brings uh, his people back to himself in redemption and what an amazing thing that that will, uh, that will be. But what I wanted us really to pick up on is, yes, God is talking in, in this, this very opposite way to the same people and God is absolutely just in judging sin and the, the idolatry of his own people, but God is absolutely loving in bringing his people back to himself. And one of the things that we need to see as we would look at the themes and paradoxes of Scripture, you, you look at that as, what, what a, you know, what's going on here? How, how are these written about the same people? Uh, and so on. But one of the things we need to understand about scriptures we've been hammering all the way through this, this, our times together is that everything resolves in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the word of God is essentially a love story and it's, it's God redeeming sinful man back to himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read to you something that I think will uh, help uh, prove this point and just uh, help us focus a little bit on this. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, I will tell you one thing that proves, proves to a demonstration that Christ is still precious to his people, and it is this. Send one of Christ's people to hear the most noted preacher of the age, whoever that may be. He preaches a very learned sermon, very fine and magnificent, but there is not one word about Christ in that sermon. Suppose that to be the case, and the Christian man will go out and say, I did not care a farthing, I didn't care a penny for that man's discourse. Why? Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. I heard nothing about Christ. Send that man on a Sabbath morning to hear some, uh, he calls it a hedge and ditch preacher, but this would be an old country bumpkin, is, I guess would be our modern day uh, vernacular. Someone who cuts the king's English about ever so badly or never so badly, but who preaches Jesus Christ. You will see the tears rolling down that man's face. And when he comes out, he will say, I do not like that man's bad grammar. I do not like the many mistakes he has made. But oh, it is good. does my heart good, for he spoke about Christ. That, after all, is the main thing for the Christian. He wants to hear about his Lord, and if he hears him magnified, he will overlook a hundred faults. In fact, you will find that Christians all are agreed that the best sermon is that which is fullest of Christ. 
He goes on to give this illustration. A young man had been preaching in the presence of a venerable divine, a very noted professor. And, uh, and after he uh, had done, uh, he went to the old minister and said, what did you think of my sermon? And the old minister said, a very poor sermon indeed. <laughs> a poor sermon, said the young man. It took me a long time to study. I have no doubt of that. Why did, um, did you think my explanation of that uh, text was a very, uh, very good one? Oh, yes, said the old preacher. It was a very good one indeed. Well, then, why did you say it was a poor sermon? Didn't you think my, the metaphors were appropriate and the argument conclusive? Yes, they were very good as far as that goes, but still, it was a very poor sermon. Will you tell me why you think it was a poor sermon? Because, said the old minister, there was no Christ in it. Well, said the young man, Christ was not in the text. We are not on to be preaching Christ always. We must preach what is in the text. So the old minister said, don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there, there is a road that leads to London? Well, yes, said the young preacher. Ah, the old preacher said, and so form every text in Scripture, there is, there is a road to the, metro, uh, to the metropolis of the Scriptures that is Christ. And my dear brother, your business is, when you get to the text, to say, now what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road towards the great metropolis, Christ. And, said he, I have never yet found a text that does not, uh, not have a road to Christ in it. And if ever I do find one that uh, has not a road to Christ in it, I will make one. I will go over hedge and ditch, but I will get to my master for the sermon cannot do any good unless there is a Savior, uh, uh, is the Savior of Christ in it. And, uh, you know, that's just a really, really true statement. Everything in Scripture, every verse of Scripture, every page of Scripture is running towards the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to see it as a cohesive book. We have to see all the themes, all the seeming paradoxes of Scripture as pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So really, what is the road to Christ in it when you're looking in the Word of God, when you're reading through the Old Testament, when you're reading through the, even the, uh, the, the uh, chronologies uh, uh, and uh, reading through the different sacrifices, what is it? Where is the road to the Lord Jesus Christ? Every text has a road to the Lord Jesus Christ in it. Let's view the major themes of the Bible tonight. We looked at the major parts last week, but just to kind of give an overview, if we were to break it down into some sections, some major themes of the Bible tonight, we could see some key themes, and I'll quickly go over them, give them to you, and then explain a little bit. Uh, we see creation. It starts out that way. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? How did we get here? It all starts with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see this we see this in the first chapters of the Bible. We see in uh, Genesis uh, 1 and 2, we see that uh, God was the one who created us, a major theme, and God is the one who will recreate us and, and will recreate us in righteousness and true holiness. But uh, creation as a dominant theme in Scripture, we see the fall very, very quickly in, in Genesis chapter number 3, and we see the repercussions of that all the way through the, um, through the Bible. 
fact, when you come to on the book of Romans, chapter number one, and we see the downward spiral as the fall, as sin has its wages and consequences upon mankind, we see redemption. Even beginning in Genesis 3 and verse number 15, immediately God is saying, hey, there's coming a day where I'll send a redeemer and he is going to bruise the head of the serpent and, and the serpent will bruise his heel and this is going to be the way that I will send a redeemer into the world. And then we see restoration, restoration in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we come from? From God. We were created for relationship. One man, um, put it this way, the, the chapters, the, the, the pathway that you can portray the gospel is just what we've mentioned. We were created. God was the one who created us. We are accountable back to him. We were created for relationship with him. Yes, the fall of man. Man chose to sin, and his free will chose to sin against the holy God. And God, in turn, who must judge sin but was also very loving towards mankind, sent the, his son to be the, uh, the propitiation for us and to, uh, sent him to take the judgment of our sin, and we are made right in him. We are redeemed in him. He came in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh took on flesh just like you and I. We call that the incarnation. He took our place at the cross. We should have died there. He took our place at the cross, and we are restored in him by faith. How do, we, how do we get right? How do we make it right? How are we restored? By faith. By faith, through grace. What a great thing that is. And where is this all going? To uh, a new heaven and a new earth. We can ask people, where will you spend eternity when you die? Where will you spend the rest of eternity? With him, if you've placed your trust in him, if you've placed faith in him. That's where it's all going. So we see the major theme, if you just uh, simplistically lay out the Bible, this is the pathway, this is the conversational pathway. You know, a lot of people, uh, more and more as we are, are becoming more and more secular in our country, more and more people don't understand this. They've been taught we, we, came to, uh, we came to pass through the evolution of many, many years, billions and billions of years, right? This, this is what they think. And as we come to our culture and begin to tell them, hey, this is what Jesus Christ has done, we have to oftentimes start back at the beginning. You were created by God. You're accountable to God. You were created for a relationship. You long for relationship. The reason you jump from relationship to relationship, right? The reason you, you divorce one and go get another and you jump from relationship to relationship and never find satisfaction, you were created for relationship. And until you find satisfaction in him, you can't find satisfaction in anyone else. And so we are created for that. We send against him. And this whole pathway, this whole conversational pathway uh, can be laid out uh, and, and help people to come to an understanding of what's going on in the world. We see in every part, Many times we think, well, Jesus came on the scene in the, New, in the New Testament. No, he's in every part of the Bible. Every part of the Bible. He was the hope of the patriarchs. He's the rock of, of Moses. He's the fulfiller of the law, both moral and, and ceremonial. He's the true temple, as we saw in Hebrews chapter number 8 there. He is the true sacrifice. He is the commander of the Lord's host. He's the divine warrior. He's the true king of Israel. He's true Israel. He's a sweet singer of Israel. He's true wisdom, as we see in the book of, of Proverbs. Every part of the Bible looks to Jesus Christ in a very specific way. There is a road to Jesus from every part. He's in every theme of the Bible. 
You can find this and maybe write, uh, write this down. It might be in your notes. Uh, 20 Canonical Themes by D.A. Carson. You can research that a little bit later. But there are many themes in Scripture. The creation and new creation, king and servant, covenant or conditional, sacrifice or atonement, home or exile, true God versus false idols, presence of, of God, rest in the Sabbath, judgment and, uh, uh, justice and judgment, uh, peace with God, righteousness and redemption. Again, all pointing in some way, shape, or form, all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do a little bit more study along the way, but just think about the king or the servant. Every single scripture theme climaxes in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true king, and all other kings are tyrants. Don't we see that even in our world today? He alone is the true king that, that is full of mercy and truth and grace and truth is how he came to us in John chapter 1. I was talking and witnessing to someone today that was bemoaning the fact that uh, sometimes Christians are so, uh, so hard-nosed and so uh, graceless in the way that they approach the world. And, you know, I said to them, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a problem with Christianity in the sense of, uh, of religion. Jesus Christ himself was full of grace and truth, and we are to be balanced out in that way. We are to speak the, the truth in love. He is that. And he exemplifies that even though he has all authority as king, uh, Jesus Christ is the perfect king. He's not a tyrant. Jesus is the only king that does not enslave us. He shepherds us. All references to kingship ultimately point towards the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate and final king. And won't that be a day when he rules in Jerusalem and when he rules with righteousness and a rod of iron, when justice can be counted upon, and it's not counted upon today. <laughs> you, wonder, you wonder what's going on behind closed doors and secret meetings, even within our own, own state. You know, the press is not allowed here, right? No, that won't be with the Lord. He, he's open, transparent. What, a, what a, uh, a Jesus we serve. You think even about the covenant or conditional. We all were created for, for relationship. We long for that. We need that. We need that with one another. That's what's so beautiful even about the body of Christ. We need the one another's of Scripture. We need relationship with one another. A relationship always has laws that govern it, but love that drives it. Uh, on one hand, there is the, the law, the, the obligation that, that, uh, that is binding and, and gives a solemn promise. But it's not, it's not like, a, like a, a business relationship because there is the love. The bindingness of the law makes it strong. The willingness of love makes it very intense. And so as we think about, uh, think about the covenants that God talks about in Scripture and, and we think about the, the, the idea of conditional and unconditional it's an interesting thing. God enters into covenant relationship with man. So is it conditional or is it unconditional? In some places in Scripture, it seems that it's conditional. You have to obey. You want the blessing, you have to obey. He is a God of justice. You can't be right with God and continue in your sin. In other places, it seems that God says, no matter what, I still love you. I'll be there. I'll save you. I'll, it's going to be okay. I, I'm there. I'll be your God. 
And so you have these, these tensions there, and the entire Old Testament is building a tension over the, uh, these, these covenants. Is it, is it conditional or is it, is it unconditional? And you know what? When we get to the cross, we see it all perfectly worked out because, yes, uh, yes sin must be judged, and, and it, it, God does demand righteousness, and he demands perfect righteousness, but he also does love. And so he does, the, the idea of this being unconditional and, and showering his radical love upon us is an amazing thing, but it's all met at the cross. He judges sin. And he, as we respond to that, that him in faith, he gives us his unconditional love. And what a beautiful thing that that is. And so the cross is where this is all, all the tension that we see in the Old Testament is released in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the theme in scripture of, especially in the people of Israel, they're at home, they're honoring God, they're doing the right thing, they're at home, but sin always brings them into bondage. By the way, that's still a truth today. Sin always brings us into bondage, and we are watching our nation come into bondage as we turn our back and glorify sin. We become in bondage to sin, but what did happen with the children of Israel? Over and over again. They did right, they were home, God blessed them. And they did wrong, they were brought into exile. All people, in reality, are in exile. You and I, we chose sin. In Adam, we chose sin. We're brought into exile. We're not home. We're exiled by sin. And the world is, is now a place of exile. It's not, not our home. We are wandering. We're homesick. Jesus was exiled in order to bring us home. He came here on our behalf. He humbled himself. He came here to redeem us from exile. Jesus is the, uh, in the end was exiled to bring us to home to be with him. And what an amazing thing is we see all these different uh, themes in scripture all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go through any theme in scripture and find Jesus there. But what about the figures of scripture? The figures, and I'm talking about characters of, uh, in, in, in scripture. I'm thinking about Mo, uh, Joseph for a moment here. Um, I was talking to my son this, uh, this, uh, this week, and sometimes younger brothers can, uh, can, can annoy older brothers by uh, taking the righteous upper road, right? I did the right thing, you did the wrong thing, and I just want to remind you about this. And I said, hey, you don't want to be like Joseph. And, you know, remember Joseph coming down and with his dreams and I'm going to rule over you and all this stuff. You don't want to be like Joseph and be haughty. You know, Joseph, God was going to use Joseph in a special way, but you don't want to be haughty in that, in that way. But you know what? Joseph had his moments, but Joseph is a beautiful picture of Christ. Now think about all the, all the pictures in the Bible as we, as, as we read through the characters of the Old Testament. Think about how Jesus is the true and better version or the true and better uh, uh, fulfillment of those, those figures. In all the figures, the deliverer figures, there is a reflection of Jesus being our ultimate Savior, our deliverer, our prophet. Every priest, every king, every judge, every deliverer finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ in a true and better uh, picture, a reflection of that. Uh, as one person put it, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is a true and better Abel who though innocently slain has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. 
Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the, uh, comfortable and fa- um, that was comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who has not just offered up, uh, was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain, up Calvary's mountain, and sacrificing him and say to him, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, Jesus Christ, from us, your only son, whom you love. You did not withhold him from us. Jesus is a true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only uh, receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and to discipline us. Jesus was a true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives all those who betrayed and sold him using his power to save them. Jesus is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is a true and better Job the truly, uh, that truly, uh, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. <laughs> Think about that. And Job and all the struggle that he went through and yet does not, not uh, look down on his friends but prays for them and Jesus being the true and better uh, friend Jesus is true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory through although they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that he could be brought in. Jesus is the true and better uh, and real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so so the angel of death will pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true uh, lamb, the true light, the true bread. And so we see that all the Bible's really not about us. The Bible's about Jesus Christ. All the pieces are connected. All the roads lead to Jesus. And all that we'd read the Bible that way and see it in that way, looking for Jesus everywhere. Sometimes we get to the Bible and we look at it, well, what's in it for me? Right? What's in it for me? What, what, how is this going to speak to me? Go to the Bible looking for Jesus and you'll never walk, uh, walk away unsatisfied. He is a satisfaction that we can get from Scripture. But now let's just take a moment and look at the major paradoxes of the Bible just briefly. Um, and the, remember, the Bible's a lifelong study. So these, these things, we're just skimming over the top. 30,000 foot view. Many themes in Scripture. Many paradoxes. God is masterful at taking what is seemingly contradictory and blending them together. First, you look at it, it's confusing what in the world's going on here, but you begin to realize there's an answer as you study down. And when you do study down, there's great stability, there's great security in that. 
in knowing the answer, but in seeing what God is doing. Think about this. The Bible in and of itself. How many times have you heard the question, uh, well, isn't the Bible just written by men? So is the Bible a human book or is it a divine book? Was it written by man or is it written by God? Yes, right? God used men, holy men of God, were moved, uh, moved or born along by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, no prophecies of any private interpretation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, but he used human instruments to write it. Scripture, uh, is it, was it eternally preexistent or was it written in time? Well, yes, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word of God being Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But yes, it was written in time, and yes, it was, it's been forever settled in heaven. Jesus, is he human or divine? Is he man or is he God? Yes, he's both. And uh, what, a, what an amazing thing that that is, and that blows our mind to this day. 100% man and 100% God. God's person, is he one or is he three? Yes, three in one, and praise the Lord for that. By the way, uh, that in particular, Brother Jeremy, we were talking on Tuesday morning, that doctrine really, really is a uh, stumbling stone for, uh, for the, the, the Muslims, and he deals with that, and he had one of the clearest explanations of that uh, towards the Muslims, and again, be looking for that link and, and go through those, those steps in, uh, in understanding how to witness to Muslims and uh, dealing with some of their, their doctrine. But yes, he is, he is three in one. We believe in the Trinity. Uh, God's nature, is he loving or is he angry? When we look at Ezekiel 22, boy, I mean, I'm going to melt you. I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty straightforward right there. But you look at Ezekiel 37 and you see the love of God, the mercy of God. And so, yes, he is, uh, he, uh, there is uh, love of God and the anger of God. Is he holy and, and just or is he gracious and long-suffering? Yes, yes. Following Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ my Savior or is he my Lord? Is he the one that loves me or is he the one that, that demands my obedience? Yes. Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly and, and, and allowing him to be the, the Lord of my life, God's people. Is it Israel or the, or the church? Yes, and we believe that the church is not the replacement of Israel. God chose his, uh, Israel to be the light to the nations through which he bring his truth to all the nations. He chose them for a specific purpose at that time. Right now he's working through the church and one day again he'll work through Israel, but yes, we're his people. Life. Is it mine or God's? Do I lose my life or find my life? Yes, in Jesus Christ, I lose and find my life. Sanctification. We saved from sin or are we struggling in sin? Yes. And I look forward to the day when we're completely uh, away from the presence of sin and the temptation of sin. The tempter will be banished. Our burdens will be laid down. Holiness. Righteousness in Christ or growing in righteousness? Do I have righteousness, present righteousness right now? Yes, positionally I do. But uh, in, in, in practicality, I'm still growing in righteousness. Yes. I stand righteous in Christ. I grow in behavioral righteousness. 
as I go along, as he sanctifies me, as he changes me from glory to glory, as I allow the word of God to impact my life, Bible knowledge, is it Bible te- um, teaching doctrine or, or is there application? I, I am to know what I believe, which should drive uh, how I behave. Yes, Christian living. Is it faith or effort? Do I rest in him or is it something that I have to work for? Yes, both. Yes. Um, how important it is to realize that, that I have to make choices, but I rest in his, his power. I need his Holy Spirit. Listen, we, we don't make any changes without the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of times where we don't, we don't take that step. Oh, I need him every hour. The nature of creation is that Physical or is it spiritual? Yes, the, the spiritual drives the physical and the matters, uh, uh, the, the spiritual drives the physical. And so, yes, God created uh, us with a spirit to relate to Him, but He created us uh, physically as well, the world around us. Christianity, matters of Christianity, do we deny the world or do we affirm the world? You know, the world, we look around and we see the creation. I think especially over the last couple of days, how beautiful it's been. Wasn't Monday beautiful? You know, God said after he created the world, it was good. It was all good, right? But there's a side of the world, the cosmos, the philosophies that are not good. And we're to deny those. To be set apart from those things. Culture, should we appreciate it or reject it? Is it sinful or acceptable? Well, Yes, there's some parts of, of things like uh, you enjoy Mexican food. Boy, that's, you know, or you enjoy Italian. Uh, there's some parts of culture that you can enjoy that are not sinful. But there's other parts that are exceptionally sinful. And we ought to be apart, uh, stay apart from. And so you see throughout Scripture there are different paradoxes. Things that seem like they don't, they don't mesh up. And as we study in a little bit more, we find how the Lord brings them together, and especially in the person of of Jesus Christ. So some takeaways tonight. We see Jesus Christ on every page of Scripture. And we'll see that more and more as we go along. The major themes that we see is is, is like a thread throughout Scripture. The fall, or the creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. It's like a, a theme that goes throughout Scripture in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all the paradoxes of Scripture are find their fulfillment, find their resolution in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, can we not just thank the Lord tonight for a wonderful, a wonderful revelation, a specific revelation that he has given to us, and continue to seek out Jesus Christ in the pages of Scripture even this week. Father, would you help us as we, your people, seek your guidance within the pages of Scripture? And Lord, we thank you for making it so simple in the fact that it's about one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that we'd be able to understand it and continue to study it so that we might share it with others so that it doesn't just benefit us, but, Lord, we can be your vessels to a world that needs you desperately. Lord, I think even tonight, as there are many right around our building and in our our neighborhood and our community that think, Lord, and, and know you only as a God of judgment and do not know the intense love that you have for them, And Lord, that seems like a paradox to them, but we see how that at the cross you judge sin, but you you poured out your love in such an amazing way. Lord, I even think of during this Easter season, would you help us to be able to lift you up as the God? 
that is full of grace and full of truth, full of love and full of justice as well. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to do that even in this Easter season. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you take a moment in your seat there tonight and just pause and thank the Lord for the personal Lord Jesus Christ as you see him in Scripture and ask him to open up your eyes as you read through even the rest of this week. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.